some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Now, today, uh, usually I would have my co-host Gunnar Monson along with me, but Gunnar Monson is uh, under the weather, and so our, our thoughts are with him for a speedy recovery, and uh, I'm sure he'll be back at it next week. Having said that, I'm glad to have you all uh, aboard today. Great show planned. We have a uh, special guest for you uh, today uh, in Dr. Haskell Hart. Uh, Dr. Hart holds a Ph.D. in chemistry. Uh, from Harvard University and has a physical, inorganic, and analytical chemistry background. And I'm going to just welcome Mr. Hart right onto the show. Hello. Hello, Doctor. How are you? I'm just fine. How are you, Shane? I'm doing well. Uh, I just want to uh, say thank you right off the bat for uh, joining us here uh, this evening on Monster X Radio. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. I um, I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk with y'all. Fantastic. We're we're. Uh, well, I know I'm very much looking forward to talking with you. Uh, but for for the the, the listening audience, uh, Doctor Hart, do you mind describing a little bit about yourself and your background uh, before we get into uh, some of the you know some of the, the questions that we have lined up for you? Sure. Um, be glad to. Um, I've been a lifelong uh, wildlife and, and naturalist enthusiast. Um, I got a, a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering, but then uh, went on to uh, physical chemistry for graduate school, um, where I did um, x-ray diffraction and inorganic uh, chemistry structures, after which I joined the faculty at the University of North Carolina in Wilmington, which was one of the smaller branches of the state university at that time, 
um, as a professor of chemistry. I taught uh, for 10 and a half years there and did some research, mostly in X-ray diffraction. And then um, I took a position with Shell in Houston and became uh, part of a large analytical chemistry group of over 250 people at the time. And we, uh, I began doing X-ray diffraction, which is my background, but then later um, became a research manager and have a number of other techniques uh, in, in my department. And also I did some more um, research and, and problem solving in the area of mass spectrometry. And so uh, when I retired, which was in 2002, I uh, took on some other interests. I've had a lot of other interests. And uh, when the uh, Ketchum paper came out on the DNA study, I took it upon myself to uh, get more involved in uh, DNA research and that sort of thing. So the paper was a good stimulus in that respect. And uh, so um, since then, I've put up a blog with over 30 articles on, on that particular paper and related topics. And uh, I've recently published a couple of papers on reinterpretation of that DNA study. So that's pretty much um, long and the short of it. Well, you know, fantastic. Now, what, you know, as a, a, a lifelong amateur naturalist, Obviously, you had multiple interests, but what, what really kind of, I mean, how long have you been interested in, in the Sasquatch phenomenon? I mean, how is it a childhood, childhood thing or just re, in the recent, you know, last, you know, uh, you know, 70 years or so? Well, it's been, uh, actually, I knew about the Patterson-Gimlin film way back then. Occasionally, something came up in the news. Um, I haven't been out there looking for Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, except a couple of times fairly recently. So most of my involvement and interest has been over the last four years. Gotcha. In connection gotcha. with the DNA work. Right. Right. Okay. Now, what, what uh, having getting involved with the DNA work, what really, I mean, what were your thoughts going into uh, looking at, uh, you know, the Ketchum study and the DNA there? What, what kind of, uh, kind of propelled you to, to look into it? Just uh, curiosity, there may be something to it? Well, uh, yes, curiosity. Uh, and also, I wanted to see if um, there were resources online that a person uh, like myself with a background in science could use to check out some of these DNA sequences and see what they matched. And... Um, as everybody in this knows, the best resource is free, actually. It's um, sponsored by the National Institutes of Health and their uh, National Center for Biotechnology. And it's a huge database of deposited sequences of DNA bases of specific um, animals and organisms and plants. Um, this is where people deposit their work so that others can rely on it and reference it and compare it. 
And so I found this quite easy to use, the online directions plus uh, manuals plus help, online help. And I found it very interesting to take sequences that um, catch them published and check them out and see what they match. And this, this was a new area for me. Um, I've known about DNA and, and its function and so on for over 50 years, ever since I started my uh, studies in chemistry. So that part I, I knew about, but how to, how to match sequences and what to look for when comparing things was something I had to learn. And um, so I've developed a whole lot of rules about that, which I think would guide people uh, in, into getting correct answers, not making mistakes. So that was it. Um, I, you know, it's just a, of course, everybody was um, more or less shocked and surprised that a paper like this would come out, and and it was of great interest. And so as, as a wildlife person and so on, uh, it was a natural thing to me to look at in retirement when I don't have a lot of other obligations that uh, take my time. And it was a nice sort of hobby to get into. Yeah, it, exactly a hobby. But have, you know, even though you you were uh, retired and and had this extra time, did you have any concern at the time, uh, you know, getting involved with this sort of this sort of phenomenon, uh, Sasquatch phenomenon? Were you slightly worried about you, um, how people would look at you, especially your peers? And uh, did that ever cross your mind, or were you that wasn't even a thought in your head? No, I uh, I just went ahead. I think my wife was more concerned about what my neighbors would think of me. <laughs> so I talked to them about it. I talked to them about it since and so on. And uh, you know, I, I've never had any. I've never lost any friends over it. Um, I don't know if they laugh behind my back or whatever. I doubt it um, because I've taken, I think, a, a scientific approach to it. Uh, which uh, is, is I think, the only way that we're going to get to the bottom of this. And um, so it, it was it was fun, quite frankly, and it took a lot, a lot of work. I, I have done hundreds, maybe even thousands, of individual searches and comparisons. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is, if you're going to do this, it's something that's that um, unusual and... So on, you have to take a pretty serious approach if you're going to make any kind of contribution. No, that, and that's very refreshing. Uh, now, let's talk a little bit. I know uh, you've talked at length about your work on on the Ketchum study, uh, but do you mind, uh, you know, for the viewing audience, mind talking a little bit about, uh, you know, how much time you spent uh, reviewing and analyzing the, the, the study. And, and your involvement, what was your exact involvement in that study? Okay. Um, well, online, the paper has some supplementary data, and among, among those sources are sequences. Um, let's talk about the nuclear DNA sequences. There were three that were published. Uh, three of the samples were analyzed for nuclear DNA. And um, so that can be downloaded. And um, I got into it, and, you know, quite frankly, I'll be very honest, I've said this before, so this is not anything new. 
I thought that she had actually, uh, that the Ketchum team had actually um, discovered something new. Uh, my initial searches with that, with those sequences against the massive database at the National Institute of Health showed, you know, fairly good agreement. And I'm, by that, I'm going to say 94 to 95% uh, base pair alignment or agreement. And I thought, being a newcomer, that, you know, that was pretty good. However, um, I found that the databases, there are more than one database up there at, at the National Institutes of Health. And there were, the one that was searched most, including the one that the Ketchum people did a search of, does not have much black bear data. And it doesn't have, it didn't at the time, it does now, but it didn't have any polar bear data, which is the next nearest relative. And um, this led me to believe that human was the best match. But when I realized this and started searching against the databases with the polar bear data, which there's much more of than black bear data, there's a complete genome in fact now, um, when I started doing that, I started getting much better hits, like 99%, sometimes even 100%, which means that for certain regions, the two bears are virtually identical. And so that made me rethink this. And I, I, had, to, I had to admit that I was, um, I was wrong um, in thinking that this matched human best. It matches it pretty well, but... Actually, the reason it matches it so well is because the approach used by the Ketchum team was to use a human reference to sequence these bases. And that means that only those regions of the genome that are similar to human will be sequenced. It's what we call conserved genes. And mammals have a lot of things in common. So they will have uh, stretches of their DNA that are the same, even though the animals seem quite different, like a bear and a human. So um, with that uh, in mind, I then uh, realized that uh, the sample 26, the one, the famous uh, kill, is actually a black bear. Sample 31, I agree with Ketchum, it is, is human for all all, all you can say, it matches nearly 100%. And the sample 140, which was the Illinois um, downspout blood sample, uh, is actually a dog. It, it matches dog much better than anything else, um, including human or bear or any other mammals. And so um, this, um, this was a, a shock to me, actually. I didn't realize that somebody could be that far wrong. And I have some ideas about why that is, but we, we can get into that later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you, you originally kind of sided with some of uh, Melba Kitchen's uh, findings and then having looked into a little deeper yourself, uh, came back uh, with uh, different results. Um, some of the claims made by Mel Ketchum uh, you know, are a little bit out there, uh, as you're quite aware. 
but uh, that really had no play on on what uh, on what you were bringing to the table as far as your your work. And uh, I I know for a fact, <laughs> yeah. How how was this? Re- how were your results? Let me talk a little bit more about that too. Your results and findings. But how were your results? Um, how did people look at your results? Do you get a lot of hate mail? Because I know a lot of people still to this day uh, believe that uh, your findings and others' findings are, are wrong and that, you know, that nobody is correct. So, I mean, did you get a lot of heat, uh, a lot of hate mail? No, actually uh, not. I think there were some people who um, in various ways said they agreed with her with her, because she had experts and I'm a newcomer, relatively speaking, but there were maybe a, just a few slightly nasty comments, but nothing serious, nothing massive. And, you know, I can't say I've been persecuted uh, the way she says she has been, and uh, she could speak for herself on that. I have no way of knowing, but, uh, you know, she's claimed people tried to pipe bomb her presentation one time and so on, and I think that's terrible if it were true, and and I would, you know, I would um, feel sorry for her on that account. I I haven't had anything like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I will say I have had some very encouraging, positive comments from people whom I respect very much, people who are actually practicing um, anthropologists, geneticists, and the like. And Mm -hmm. so that, that much more encouraging. What were your thoughts at the time? You know, David H. Swenson, a biochemist, he actually agreed with with uh, Mel, Melba's finding, Melba Chips's findings. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, we're talking about a biochemist, uh, another you know uh, scientist. Well, at first, I had a, a contact with David. Um, I noticed he made a post saying that. Um, he had trouble, his computer couldn't handle the massive amounts of data. And um, I pointed him in the right direction. In a sense, there's one input parameter that you can change and that'll make the search go better. Um, and he did that, apparently. And his first statement was that, you know, Sasquatch is proven by, by genetics. And then, interestingly, some months later, maybe even up to a year later or so, he was on another radio show, and he said, well, this sample, we're talking about this major kill, seems to be a hybrid or there seems to be evidence of other animals there. And that's that's what I found, actually, too. And then recently, oh, I don't know, a year ago, much more recently than the original comment, he was on the Joe Rogan show again out there in L.A., and he said, you know, after being asked, he says, well, I'll believe it when it bites me in the fingers, or bites my fingers off. So he had changed his view, too, um, although his results are nowhere published or uh, that I know of anyway. I've never seen any of his searches or his his results. So um, I think he's come around to... And I think the thing with this is, you know, you can be a biochemist, you can be a, even some of these forensic analysis analysts that she had working for. Most of them work with human DNA. They have a 
um, canned methods that look at differences between human beings so they can identify criminals and stuff. But I would be willing to say that none of them have actually done anything like this, looking for an unknown species from a nuclear DNA uh, sequence. So, you know, um, as much as has been said by Melda Ketchum about her experts and everything, um, I think, I think yeah, they're experts in certain things, but I don't think they were able to see beyond the uh, very limited scope type of work that they normally do, which you have to do mm -hmm. for something like this. Yeah. How do you think or why do you think Melba Ketchum came to the conclusions that she came to? Uh, and, and, you know, and why would she, in your opinion, I mean, uh, there were some extraordinary claims with, with this study uh, that uh, really there was no, I mean, all intents and purposes, there's no truth to. Uh, they, they, there was multiple samples sent uh, and tested. And, uh, you, you know, your findings uh, spoke for themselves. Why do you think Melba came to the conclusions that she did? Well, okay, um, I've struggled with this very, this is a very good question, by the way, because I think anybody would wonder why 10 different authors on this paper would not have caught some sort of mistakes or errors or whatever, and why would I find something that they didn't find? And first, I, I think I have to say she has apparently seen these creatures, or I believe she has, and I can't dispute that. Um, and I think that kind of already put her in the mental framework of these these are near human. And so, uh, and I did some searches early on where it sure looked like it. I, it's a little hard to explain this on the radio, but the output you get from your uh, searches has two parameters. There's there's one called percent ID and there's one called score. And unfortunately, the way they were um, populating these fields, the percent ID was not representative of the largest segment of hit in, in the particular entry. And so you'd get a high percent for a small segment but it was put right alongside the whole entry, and it looked like the whole entry had the highest percentage. And I got 100% too on chromosome 11. And then I looked into it in more detail. You have to download this data into an Excel file and sort it on different parameters like the percent ID. And you can quickly figure out that uh, it, it was misleading. And in fact, I had attempted to publish a paper in an online journal some years before where um, one, of the, one of the reviewers, I'm quite certain, was from the uh, National uh, Bureau, uh, the Center for Biotechnology, and, and he, he saw my comment on that, and they changed their output, which is now much, much more representative and less misleading. He commented that I made a major contribution to, to the field. And I, do, I don't know exactly that he was the reviewer, but he was one that I recommended as a reviewer, and he was the only one, I think, 
qualified to make that comment. So that's one thing. Um, and I think the other thing is just very unfortunate that there wasn't enough uh, polar bear or black bear data in the single database that was searched. They should have searched other databases. I did five different databases. Two of them were in the open literature and three of them were online. And I think, you know, you get a result you want and um, or you think you do and then you like to quit and, and publish it. And unfortunately, it was a common, it's like a perfect storm thing, you know. There's at least three things going wrong here. Um, and, and that's when the disaster happens. It's usually more than one thing. So that that's my overall view of it. And I, you know, I may not have it all exactly right. Um, obviously, it'd be nice if the Ketchum team were a little more open about this, and they've shut up completely since you know the paper was criticized. Um, I do think it behooves them to be a little more scientific and discuss it in, in an open way so we can get to the bottom of it. Um, you know, I might be wrong about these things. I don't think so, but but I'd like to hear their view on what I've done. And I I had not received that from anybody else, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, well, there, there's also the 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 problem with uh, how how Melba Ketchum went around the whole peer review uh, thing, and I know you're very familiar with with peer review material um, and whatnot. You you've got your own stuff that's been peer reviewed, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But you know, there was that whole debacle with with um, kind of like a self <laughs> a peer review uh, that must have been uh, pretty discouraging. And, and I know the the community, the scientific community, really uh, came down on it. Uh, at least you know those that I've talked to, and, and of course. Uh, those just interested in the subject were kind of uh, floored when when the kind of the truth came out about uh, her findings and how they were uh, not really reviewed. Yes, um, I have the peer reviews have been published. Somebody leaked them, and which they're not supposed to do, but we don't know who it was. But anyway, once they were leaked, uh, she published them, and I read them in great detail. There were two journals involved. Nature, the first one, is a is a world-renowned, famous journal for interesting new discoveries in almost any area of science. And um, the other one was a less-known, now-defunct journal, something like um, the Journal of Zoological research. I forget what the full name was, but it's much less well known. And that's the one she purchased. And in reading through all these um, peer reviews, I tried to, in fact, I published a blog on this on my blog site. I tried to um, organize the different ideas and see how many unique criticisms there were and how many were and I think I found like there were like 30 different comments and about, I think about half as many unique uh, criticisms, some of which were kind of minor. They had to do with style and presentation and what you have to do to prove a new, new animal species. But um, a lot of them 
a dozen or so were very, very to the point. In fact, if they had looked at it a little farther, they'd have found some of the things I did. One of the reviewers actually did find a black bear sequence, which I had found too for S26. I didn't think it was long enough to be significant, and it turns out it was. And so um, I think the peer review was fair, and her responses, a lot of them, they were tangential. They they missed the point. They, you know, I, I'll be. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt and, and say that, um, you know, it wasn't intentional or anything, but it, it just wasn't the point, you know. Uh, talking about contamination in a laboratory as a result, uh, as a possible reason, and the lack of contamination as a reason why they couldn't be a bear, and, you know, maybe the sample is a bear, not the contamination. And so, you know, I... I was not impressed with her responses, and and there's too much to go into in detail here. But yeah. I do have a blog on it. Mm-hmm. And then self-publishing. Yeah, think... Well, a lot of people self-publish. I I have no problem with that. I'm I'm interested in the truth. I mean, and regardless of where it's published, uh, you know. So that was her last resort, I guess. Mm-hmm. The uh, I think. Uh... When, when people look at the work that's done behind uh, the analysis of DNA and, and whatnot, I don't think they can really truly appreciate how much time and effort uh, it takes to uh, really go about, you know, doing it scientifically. I mean, really, it's, it's pretty tremendous uh, and, and, and utterly amazing to me. Uh, but it's it's t- very time-consuming, and you're talking about Multi, a multifaceted sort of uh, research. It, it's pretty amazing, uh, and uh, I, I'm floored when I look at uh, some of the work you've done, even you know, on the Melbourne Ketchum and uh, uh, study. Uh, pretty amazing stuff. Well, I, I will say this in in, um, in in that respect. I believe you know they put in a lot of work too. It took five years. I mean, and a lot of manpower and resources and money and I think it's just a shame that uh, the result wasn't very good um, and the conclusions weren't very good um, because it was a huge effort and I think it's possible I've looked into some of the mitochondrial DNA samples that some of these samples may actually be from a near human like type Sasquatch Um, it's hard to tell for sure, you can't be sure, but it's possible. Um, some of them are very human of the mitochondrial, and some of them have way too many mutations to be a, a simple human uh, being. There's a a tree of uh, mitochondrial DNA called the phylo tree, and it puts everybody, uh, there's over 20,000 some individual samples that go into this, and it puts them all in, it's kind of like a tree of life, but it's just the human part. And um, you have to fall within four mutations or so of, of some point on one of those branches to be a normal human being. And you, if you have more than six mutations from, from the nearest point, uh, there's a less than 1% chance. Um, you know, you're, you're in a minus a 1% 
population, um, in other words. And so with 16 extra mutations um, in that sample 26, the Smazin kill, I mean, it's, it's infinitesimally small probability that that could actually be from a normal human being. And then you say, well, what is it? And then, you know, it has to, it has to be um, a, a contaminated or degraded sample. And just recently, this is something I haven't published yet, but there were some original chromatograms, electropherograms, that were um, put up on the Sasquatch Genome Project webpage for downloading. And I bought some software to look at them. And indeed, they are not pristine chromatograms like the ones she likes to show you. They are completely contaminated. Uh, you can't even assemble them to, to give a full sequence. They're so bad. And so I don't know how they got that sequence for sample 26, but uh, it certainly wasn't with the data that they list on, on the web page because that, that just doesn't assemble. And so you can assemble part of it, but, but not all of it. So, so that's, um, mm -hmm. that's where I come out on that. Now, this study is not the first of its kind. There have been about, I believe, about six other similar uh, studies done on, on um, samples, uh, supposed, you know, Sasquatch or even Yeti samples, once again, uh, with similar results overall. I mean, nothing's come back, uh, you know, screaming Sasquatch. And I think, you know, obviously part of the problem is, uh, well, we don't have a holotype specimen to look at, but most of these samples have come back uh, from these other studies. I've come back as as a known species. Absolutely, um, I tried to summarize that work in uh, my recent uh, article on the relic hominoid inquiry, Jeff Meldrum's um, webpage, and um, the first one came from the Himalayas, and it turned out to be a horse. And unfortunately, it was April Fool's Day, and I, normally in journals they don't allow this, but they put an April Fool's type title on the paper, mm. which, if you don't read the paper, is misleading. Um, the sample is actually from a horse. They did a good job. They they got a very good match uh, to a horse and to other uh, equi-type uh, samples in the database, zebra and um donkey and that sort of thing. And so, yes, and that, that one came about 2004. Then about a year or two later, um, another sample was obtained in the Yukon, and the, the authors there analyzed it, and they did a good job. I checked out their sequence, and it was a 100% match to the American bison. And they did a nice little phyllo tree, which you should do in all these things to show its relation to uh, uh, other similar ungulates like cows and water buffalo and things like that. And it fit right where it ought to be. And that those were really good studies in, in their methodology. They only had one sample each, and they used um, um, mitochondrial DNA techniques and and it worked very well. And then the next one um, 
which was actually published after Ketchum's study, was the Brian Sykes study from Oxford. And he had 30 different samples analyzed from all over the world. I really wish he had put in a table of where these came from because it would be nice for people to make comparisons or to further explore or reanalyze or whatever, but unfortunately that wasn't done. But it was a whole spectrum of different animals, horses, cows, sheep, deer, bears, three kinds of bears, uh, porcupine, um, etc. And it was a good, a good study. It was, it's not to prove that Sasquatch doesn't exist, because you can't do that, really. It, it did show that some well, well-known, famous samples, including the Smasia kill sample, a sub-sample of that, uh, came out to be normal things. And uh, there was a little bit of folder all after that because um, two of the bear samples looked like they were something new. But in fact, um, bears, brown bears and polar bears hybridize. They're very closely related, fairly recently separated. And there are places up in the Arctic where this is common, as a matter of fact. And so the genetic results you get um, can be a little bit unusual. They, um, you know, you can think you have a polar bear, but actually it's got a lot of brown bear genes in it and like, and vice versa. And so he was slightly, he, he said it was an ancient polar bear and actually it's probably, it's probably just hybrids. Um, but it's still a bear. Nobody, you know, it's a bear, not a Sasquatch or a human. And, uh, mm-hmm. Okay, and then one other sample I found he called a sheep, but it also also matches a Himalayan tar, which is a a similar um, is in the same family anyway, and that's probably more likely if if that's where he obtained it. But these are minor things. There's no no um, reason to think any of these samples are even close to a primate. But it was a good study. It's a little short, but. Uh, uh, and those are the main ones, and then I've done a couple things here recently, but uh, those are the ones I'm I'm familiar with. Yeah, yeah, and I would imagine uh, one of the biggest problems in in, in looking at uh, these samples, uh, sometimes you know, supposed uh, Sasquatch samples that are that are sent out to be uh, looked up by lab, is is contamination, and and that's mainly because you're you know these samples are being collected by uh, citizen scientists or, or, or you know, um, people with no real, real credential background. Uh, they don't really know what they're doing, and so I would imagine one of the biggest problems that looking at these these samples would be the amount of contamination in the poor collecting of samples. Am I correct in that? Well, absolutely. In fact, it's it's even worse than just the collectors. Um, I went to Costa Rica last year, and the guide told me, told the group that the uh, the sloth, they have found 800 different, over 800 different organisms that live in its fur and on its fur, and they're they're even greenish, so there's algae to begin with. But even a, a normal animal 
uh, walking through the woods and stuff is going to pick up or can pick up some other DNA, even from its own species as it either mates or fights for food or whatever. And, and so absolutely, the sample's probably contaminated before it's even picked up, you know, and people can walk through the woods and sneeze and so on, and then somebody comes later and picks up a, a hair sample next to the trail, and and then then there's the collection itself, like you mentioned. Um, but I, I do think that people are a lot more aware now, and that's one good thing about the, uh, a result of the caption tape, which made people more aware of DNA samples and how to sample correctly, and that $10 million Bigfoot program on Spike TV went through a lot of detail on how to collect samples without, with minimum, let's say, or no contamination. And so that was good. There are other people who've written about this. Jeff Meldrum's books describe how to do this and, and others. And so um, absolutely, if somebody wants to be serious out there, it just costs a few bucks to buy some tweezers get some sterile tweezers, get some sterile containers, even put a mask on if, if you know, if you can, and gloves, and, and then at least you've minimized it. And then in the laboratory, and this is the only place that the Ketchum team, or Melba particularly, even discussed contamination. You know, she said um, her lab crew had submitted samples and it was certain that they weren't contaminating. And that's good. That's good protocol. I think that's wonderful. But that's only part of the contamination problem. In fact, it's the least likely contributor because people know the proper protocol. And she's done forensic work before, and I, I'm going to grant her that her samples weren't contaminated uh, grossly in the lab. And so it's elsewhere, you know. Um, picking up that sample at that Smasia did five weeks later under two or more feet of snow, sitting out in the open, this little piece of fur with his dog there. By the way, I did find some dog DNA in it too. The dog probably picked it up in its mouth, etc. you know. And so um, that, that makes it difficult, even more difficult. It's difficult enough because... Let's say you get a near or a human result. Well, is it really a human? A human being, if it's a single hair or two, could have walked through the woods and dropped it. Is it a Sasquatch that's very near to human? Is it a is it a feral human that's developed some hair and so on as a, as a result of stimulating some genes that are in our genome that we don't normally use anymore, but with environmental Stimulus can be promoted to uh, to give hair on a body, or or is it a mutant human? Or you know you, you can't really tell. So um, you need to get, like you say, a holotype or some very good picture or video that connects your sample with some real being. You know, so you know it isn't just from somebody walking through the woods if it comes out near human. Now, hopefully it would be different enough that you could say it's a, it's got a little more ache in it or something, but we don't know that. It's, that's speculation at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right now, even I would imagine even uh, if someone was uh, going about collecting 
they found something unique and were collecting, you know, forensically, uh, uh, you know, and transporting and storing it properly. Um, it really is going to take just more than just a sample. I mean, really what you compare that to. I mean, you do have some comparisons as to you can compare it to known things, but really, am I wrong in fact that you are going to need some sort of uh, specimen, uh, you know, to compare it to? Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, if you know, normally dealing with animals on Earth here in a database with most of the important ones, the common ones, you know, you you have things that are 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 the same or very close to the same, but in the database there is not a Sasquatch DNA sample. I mean, that's our whole problem here, and so you you. You won't get a perfect match to Sasquatch, that's for sure. But uh, you'll get close matches, presumably, because it walks on two feet and, and you know, has two hands, two feet, looks kind of humanish. You'll get some hits that are, are close to human or maybe even very close to human. And that's all you got at, at that point, unless you get a whole type sample or a part of a body or something that can be analyzed um, but taxonomy or other means too to say that this is definitely um, different than than your average human. You know, say an arm. Let's say an arm comes up, it gets caught in a trap or something, and the hand is stuck in the trap and it tore it off and ran away. But the hand could be looked at in terms of the bones. You can you can X-ray it or you can take the skin off and study the bones as well as the muscle structure, the hair, and the DNA, of course. And then you've got at least a little bit more than just a sequence, you know. That, that's one frustrating thing. One, I, I had a little exchange with somebody in Ohio who contributed a sample to the Ketchum study, and he's getting frustrated because every time he does something like that, it comes out human. And mm-hmm. so, you know, he doesn't know if it's a human like Sasquatch or another regular normal type human being or what. And so that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at this point in time, unfortunately, that's the way it is. Why do you think, you know, there's an absolute ton of an- anecdotal evidence, uh, stories and stuff, but it, do you think science should be taken a, as a whole? Uh, should be taking a closer look at the Sasquatch phenomenon, or do you think uh, it's just not there? It, and it's not uh, that science should not be uh, looking at this phenomenon as a whole. I mean, do you think there's something to actually be looking at here? Uh, obviously, the, the DNA studies have come back uh, with with basically nothing. Uh, but do you think there's actually something to look at here, and that science should actually be looking at this uh, a little a little closer? Well, this may surprise a, a lot of people, especially Melba and, and Melba Ketchum and some of her uh, detractors. But I actually think it should be looked at. Um, I don't think a professor of genetics should send his graduate students out in the woods looking for Sasquatch to write their thesis on, because it's very <laughs> unlikely they're going to find one and get the, the kind of data they need for a thesis. So. Therefore, we're left with a, an army of, um, I would say, now mostly knowledgeable uh, amateur um, scientists or 
field researchers, we can call them. And I think if they use proper procedures and and try very hard to document where their samples come from, I think they can be a very good source of scientific research in the laboratory along the lines of what Melba Ketchum did and, and others. Um, so I'm, I'm not giving up on this. I mean, I would have been overjoyed to have uh, confirmed what she claimed, that this was a species with a mosaic of human and other primate, primate uh, genetic um, complements in, in the genome, and it just didn't come out that way. Uh, but I, I think there's far too many uh, observations for this to be um, just mythology. I think some of these have to be accurate. I would think, I, I believe, to me, the Patterson-Gimlin film, I mean, it's been analyzed, and, you know, until somebody shows me that a costume made out of materials of that day can produce that kind of realism in terms of the muscles and, you know, along the lines of what Bill Munns has done, you know, I have mm -hmm. to say that it looks real to me, you know, but I don't think that's the last word. That's just where I stand at this point. Mm -hmm. Now so you yeah, have the... Uh, give, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, don't give up, keep looking. I mean, and, and try to document and, you know, eventually, hopefully somebody will find one dead on the side of the road or something, you know. Um, we'll yeah. see. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you there, and and, and I know there's many. Uh, there are a lot of active people, you know, actively researching the subject and and looking for these pieces to this giant puzzle. But you know, we we touched briefly on on your um, research article uh, out of the relic hominoid inquiry uh, entitled "DNA as Evidence for the Existence of Relic." Excuse me, relic hominoids. You also uh, recently. Uh, had a uh, a, a uh, sorry article entitled "Not Finding Bigfoot in DNA" that was published in the Journal of Cryptozoology, and, and that is a peer-reviewed journal. Uh, do you mind talking a little bit about uh, that uh, paper and um, you know what why you put that together? Yes, um, well, I was um, surprised that there actually was a journal that involved cryptozoology. Um, the original journal just called Cryptozoology was defunct, but um, several years ago, Dr. Kyle Schuker instituted this new journal, the Journal of Cryptozoology, and I quickly bought the first three volumes of it and read every single paper, some of them more than once, and got a good feel for the kind of paper that they, they would accept and what the def their definition of cryptozoology is. So I thought I would um, submit this paper, and it is the paper that you refer to in volume four is only about the three nuclear DNA samples. That is the Snasia kill, the one from Alabama, and the one from Illinois, the dog. And so I, I went through in detail uh, my analyses, including five different approaches to sample 26, 
which seems to be the most famous one that everybody's heard about mm-hmm. on TV and everything. And I produced um, borrowed trees, which are like trees of life, that shows where that sample is in, in the genetic scheme of things in relationship to other animals. And it fit exactly where a black pear would. And I got two of my sources of data were in the open literature, and three of them were various databases in the, uh, uh, the what's called GenBank, the National Center for Biotechnology. And so I thought, you know, this journal is very open-minded. They don't just publish things that tend to support the existence of something. They will also publish things that sometimes show that what somebody thinks is a new animal is probably some known species and and so forth. So I was kind of concerned that maybe it was, uh, you know, being negative in a sense that it disproved something. But actually, uh, it was accepted with some minor revisions, and um, I was quite pleased because I do think it's important to put this in writing. Now, other people can criticize this. They can publish and say, art is wrong, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, go for it. I'm, I'm all for it. I'd like to see some extra um, serious effort in this area because I don't claim to have all the answers. I, I think I've done a careful job, but but um, I'd like to see some input, some feedback, you know, on this. And um, so, yes, um, it's available at uh, Amazon.com. Came out in December. Um, cost 11 bucks, I think. And there's some other very interesting articles. I find this journal has a lot of interesting articles about animals that um, some of which are actually exist and some of which are thought to exist. But mm-hmm. it's pretty fascinating reading, I think. And anyway, probably much, the other is much more interesting than my paper, which is kind of um, cut and dry, but um, and not not very romantic or anything. But um, so uh, yes. Uh, I, I hope people will find this and, and read it and give me some really good feedback. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely, been, uh, we'll definitely put the very link. Minimal out there. I've got yeah, no yeah, we'll definitely, real, yeah, sorry. Yeah. You go ahead. No, you're fine. That's good. We'll definitely post a link, uh, uh, to, to this, uh, jury, your, your, uh, article and, uh, Hopefully, uh, people will take the time to, uh, you know, purchase it. It's really uh, affordable and, and, and review it, and maybe give you some feedback. I, I hope to, because it's it's uh, it's important. I think that uh, I'm excited having uh, people like yourself involved in this subject. Uh, truly, uh, Doctor, uh, you know, ac- having academia involved and and having them um, at least uh, not turn a cold shoulder to, it, but give it an honest look and uh, come back with with honest results, uh, that's uh, refreshing, and um, and I hope um, it progresses, uh, you know, with uh, better better and clearer studies, with better samples, and just having uh, more science look at this um, a little a little more serious, uh, seriously than, than it has been done. But um, what what are your thoughts on peer review, though, since we're on the subject you're talking about, you know, you, you You've had peer-reviewed stuff done, and uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on how important is peer review uh, when it comes to you know uh, written work such as articles and, and, and uh, paper? 
Yes. Uh, well, I've published a number of things through my career, starting back in graduate school, and they've all been peer-reviewed. And I believe it's a necessary part of the academic publishing process. If you don't have it, um, you're going to have so much stuff out there to look through. A lot of it will have mistakes, honest mistakes mostly. A lot of it will not be clearly written. I mean, not, not all scientists are, are the best writers. And it really helps to have somebody look. You really ought to have somebody look at it, a friend or two, before you even submit it. But I must admit that I haven't always done that either. But But getting people who are supposed to be, I mean, in an ideal case, um, objective, not prejudiced, not have any bones to pick with the author, etc. To look at it, you'll be amazed at what they find that you thought was so clear that, that you know, really wasn't so clear. And sometimes they actually find mistakes and omissions. And, and sometimes they have some references that you were unaware of. Um, and so forth. So I'm all for it. Of course, most you know, like like any normal person, it's great when they support publishing it, and it's not so good when they don't like to publish it. But but I've been pretty lucky. I've I've gotten good reviews, and uh, you know. But I did have to respond to some comments. In one case, 18 of them, 18 different comments, and uh, I satisfied him on all of them. And um, I think the paper was much better because of it. And it can be humbling. It can, I mean, you know, you can say, oh, my gosh, this guys he's being picky. Um, he doesn't get my point. He's not qualified in this area, this, that, and the other. But overall, I think we have to have it. And I, I will say it's not a perfect process. There are some things that I would change. I would, um, I would encourage the if they have time, the different peer reviewers to share what they each came up with. And and, and maybe some of them would change their mind or, or say, yeah, that's true, I was wrong, um, and, and do it more like a little committee. Um, of course, they like to keep it anonymous, so you're not supposed to know who your other reviewers are or the author's not supposed to know who any of them are. And um, I'm not so sure that, that that's something that necessarily should be preserved. Um, I think if people act in good spirit um, uh, and are honest, it, it shouldn't matter if you know who they are. But I, I guess I could see the reason for it. But I'd like, and, and I don't see anything wrong with publishing the um, peer reviews, especially if they're anonymous, okay? Um, there's kind of a taboo against that because it'll maybe possibly discourage people from being peer reviewers if they knew what they said is going to be published or passed around later. But, I, you know, if you're going to stand up and make some criticisms about somebody's work, they put a lot of time and energy in, you shouldn't mind somebody criticizing you too because some of these peer reviewers may not have all the background it's hard to find people sometimes. The editor of the journal, he's got to find people that are experienced in that particular little subset of the whole discipline. And he, that may not be his subset either. He's, 
possibly not an expert in, in exactly what you wrote about either. So it's hard to get good reviewers sometimes, and uh, you want to you wanna cut them a little slack. But I have to say, um, in one case, and I, I'm not going to give any details, I think the person actually had not done anything like what I did and really, really wasn't very qualified to comment on the, the methodology. Now, the comments and other comments were good, but but he wasn't up on the methodology. And, that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that can happen. But mm-hmm. that's why you had more than one, too. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. You know, one of the questions thrown my way uh, for you, uh, Dr. Hart, is uh, what results? What results would uh, make your you know would raise your eyebrows on a DNA result to be the best promising Sasquatch DNA sample? I mean, what would be you know from from a from a sample? What would be the best result? Uh, you know, what, what would raise pique your interest? That again convinced me that this this was actually uh evidence of a sasquatch correct yeah yeah yes, well, of course uh it would be a lot easier to um to come to a conclusion and support if it were a little bit different than a normal human because mm-hmm. after all, it does look different, it behaves different, and it should have some genes that are somewhat different, maybe not. Greatly, but somewhat. So I'd like to see a little bit of variation, and I can't tell you what genes or whatever. I'm not not an expert in that, but it would be encouraging if it didn't come out just flat human, you know. And if somebody would have documented the source of the sample, uh, and and looking at hair. Now I need to. Uh, listen up on that program you had, I think it was last week on hair analysis, um, which Mm. is something I'm interested in and don't know too much about. But uh, unfortunately, that has some subjectivity to it. Um, Mm. And I will say that, you know, Ketchum made some claims about hair and so on, but you can't do that with just two samples, one from something you know, and one unknown, and say they're different or they're the same. You have to do a statistical study, and that's not been done in in any cases I know of, of the diameters, the ratio of the medulla diameter to the cold diameter over a whole uh, sample of the population, because every person is not the same. Every Sasquatch is not the same. Um, Every bear is not the same. You can't just say this is from a bear, it looks different than this sample, so therefore this one cannot be a bear. Well, bears have variation, and you may be looking at one end of the bell curve for the bear, and you're on the other end of the bell curve for for the unknown. And so some statistics need to be done, and I recommended this to Melbourne. I didn't get any answer on it. We talked, I exchanged on it. The other thing is I think a panel uh, again, of experts would be better than one person because they can sit around there and say, I see this feature on the cuticle. I see this amount of overlap, this shape, these sizes. What do you think, you know, hmm. and and kind of come to their best consensus. I think that would be helpful. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, and it's time and, and effort and 
you know, it's hard to get three people from different parts of the country together, etc. You know, but at least share their thoughts before they come to a conclusion. Because some of this hair, you know, actually, just a simple a morphological hair analysis is not accepted in court anymore. It's got to be accompanied by DNA um, in order to, in order to prove a case of identity. And so, um, you know. That that tells me that it's a little bit softer as a science, you know. Not that it should mm-hmm. be ignored or anything, but some more work needs to be done statistically. Image analysis, yeah. stuff like that. Make it a little more uh, quantitative and less subjective. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely agree. Well said. And But do you think part of the problem, too, is, is the lack of funding? I mean, you have individuals such as yourself uh, looking at samples. Do you think there's a, because there really is a lack of funding, if you look at some of the, you know, when science gets involved in a study or a field study or, you know, there's there's a backing, there's there's a funding, and, and of course you have academia involved. Whatnot. Do you think if if this endeavor uh, in, in looking at samples and, and, and the field research, do you, you think if there was funding we'd be further possibly along or is that not necessarily true? Well, I think funding would help because um, it does cost to run these analyses, these these sequencing analyses. And, you know, academic people have funding for specific projects, none of them, none of which includes Sasquatch, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And so you're asking them to use equipment, use consumable supplies, time, possibly a, a graduate student's time to do something. And it's amazing that enough of them have, have done what they have. Uh, but, yes, um, it would be nice. Now, Melba Ketchum got a lot of funding. I've been told uh, upwards of a half a million dollars. Uh, good for her. Um, I think that shows that it's possible to get private funding, and um, I would I would hope that, you know, maybe some more people could get that to where they wouldn't have to feel like they're um, doing charity work, um, and which is largely what, what they have. Now, in my case, I bought a couple of fairly inexpensive pieces of software, and that was it. It was, it was just tons of hours. But, um, you know, of course, I'm not doing laboratory work. I don't have a laboratory. And that's a little different with, with resources on, on a computer that you can use. But, yes, funding would help. Um, but, you know, I don't know if it's going to come until somebody makes some much more major um, discovery with some documentation uh, that can get published in a peer-reviewed journal. Then people can refer to that in their grant applications. Mm-hmm. Now down the and road here. Kind of, yeah, sorry. Yeah, go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, sir. I was just going to say, like you know, my kind of publication is not what they're looking for. Um, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have to find one that gives positive results, and that might convince some funding sources. Mm-hmm. Dr. Hart, where do you see yourself down the road here in, in regards to? Uh, your involvement with this asphalt phenomenon. I mean, where do you plan on looking at uh, possibly more samples? Uh, I mean, where do you, where do you, do you have a, do you think you have a role uh, 
will be played out in this? Um, or are you just kind of uh, really sitting back on the sidelines? Or are you losing interest? Uh, I'm not losing interest. I try to keep up with um, recent reported sightings and so on on the Internet. Um, and I would, I would love to uh, see some more published DNA work that I could look into and hopefully confirm this time positively. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have resources to do lab work. I'm going to start getting out in the field a little bit more this year. Um, I'd be very lucky, and I, I don't expect really to see anything, but I might. Um, but that's more just I like to be outdoors anyway, and I, I I look for other wildlife while I'm out there anyway, so it's not, not any big deal. But um, I'm kind of at the end of my analysis of the Ketchum paper. Um, there's only a little bit more that I could do, in all honesty, that I can think of anyway. And so, you know, yeah, I'm kind of sitting hoping somebody – comes up with something really good, uh, I'll be the first one to support it. If, it, if it's uh, justified, um, I'll, I'll, I'll be as happy as anybody um, mm -hmm. to see this, you know, positively identified. But um, yeah. I'm kind of dependent on other people to do things. I don't like that role particularly uh, of just being a critic. That's not a good feeling always. I mean, some of it, yes, but it'd be nice to do some original stuff. If I could get, you know, somebody to work with, maybe I'm doing the lab lab part. But at first, quite frankly, somebody who does the lab analysis can can do the rest of it. He doesn't need me really, if he's competent or she. And um, you know, so I'm I'm I, I don't know if if there'll be much more for me to do. I will stay interested in it, however. Is there anything uh, that you see that kind of, you know that's out there now as far as uh, research or research or work being done that uh, piques your interest? And I mean, and and have, have, is there anybody that's been re has anybody reached out to you uh, recently with uh, you know wanting your involvement in, in any of this uh, in the Bigfoot phenomenon? Anything? They've uh, yes, a couple of people. Um, I don't know if I'll mention their names, but I'll just talk generally. Um, there is a uh, biologist in California, one of the uh, colleges, that that has done some sequencing work on samples that people gave him that they were pretty sure were Sasquatch. Unfortunately, uh, that's not what he found. Once again, um, he broke the DNA up into segments, and none of the segments um could not be there weren't any that couldn't be matched to some known species and so you know once again it's a disappointing result and we've talked about my technique my methodology and his and um there's another um man in Europe who's planning to write a book and uh has contacted me about some of my work and wanting to understand it so he can put it in perspective uh, of the whole um, problem of DNA analysis. I think he's going to devote a chapter or two to that in his book. And so we've been talking and I've been trying to coach him through to understand it. Um, but I'll I tell you what, I, 
I've got three blogs out there that describe on my blog page my techniques and how to use the database and the free software online. And I'd be glad to coach anybody through it who wants to take this kind of work on, uh, uh, wants to double check what they've done or just check other people's work. I mean, I can I can teach somebody to do this in less than an hour, I'm convinced. Anybody who's hmm. done, you know, even minimal work on a computer and can type, <laughs> I can show you how to use that software and you can do your own checks, you know. Um, unfortunately, nobody's taken me up, or if they have, they haven't told me. Uh, there's a whole bunch of my stuff they could check out, and uh, it would be nice if, if somebody would take the time to do that. Yeah, that's that's truly honorable and fantastic. I'm I'm actually uh, rather dismayed and, and kind of shocked that nobody's taking you up on that offer. That's quite uh, quite an amazing opportunity. <laughs> I hope I do hope somebody does take you up on that offer because. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, uh, you know you're willing and able uh, to to uh, teach somebody uh, or, or people, uh, you know, uh, how to go about doing what you do. I mean, that's that's truly uh, uh, truly a, a great and fantastic option. Uh, wow. Well, well, thank you. I mean, it, it's really all I've done is compared two sequences of only four letters each: A, G, T, and C. You know, I mean, it's I didn't. I'm not a geneticist. I'm not an anthropologist, but I sure know how to use databases. I've got a couple patents in databases. Um, I know how to look at results critically, etc. And um, well, as I meet some of you folks, I'm I'm hoping to uh, meet some people this summer. I'm I'm going to Beachfoot and uh, I'll bring my computer. And if people are interested, I'll sit down with them and. You know, we can go through this if we can get a, an Internet line out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, or I could show them my results even without um, doing a news search. But um, I'd, I'd like people to, to, to believe what I did is credible and be able to do it themselves. I mean, that would be great. People, you know, because a lot of these labs you send things out to, they need to be checked. Um, mm-hmm. A lot, Some of the peer reviewers... Of the Ketchum paper mentioned that that a lot of the contract labs aren't reliable, and I can't vouch for that because I've never used them myself. But but you know it it helps to be able to, and I think that was one of their faults. They took stuff without cross-checking it and looking more deeply and making sure what they got was made sense. You, you can't just take you know some of these results from other labs and. At face value, they they need to be checked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, and well, uh, I will be seeing you at Beachfoot. I'm really looking forward to meeting you there, and I will make oh, sure that you have. Uh, I will make sure you have Wi-Fi. <laughs> you will make sure that you have internet. <laughs> well, have you um, have have you been to that particular site where they're having it this year? Ever been the past? I have. I have. Oh, okay. I've been there quite. A few times, uh, and and it can be kind of spotty out there. But I will, but we will, uh, we will work around that. Uh, you know, it's uh, uh, it's got its, uh, you know, you got your hot spots and you got your uh, non-existent spots. Okay. So, but we 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 will make sure we can uh, work with you there. Well, it's sure worth a try if people are interested, you know. And I I, I imagine they have a projection facility to where uh, we could actually project the 
the computer mm-hmm. screen so more than one or two people can see it, you know. Yes, it, yes. It's more that, one that, or two are interested. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I have a feeling there'll be quite a few people interested, uh, and I, and they will be able to project it. So that's looking forward to that. Now, Dr. Hart, are you uh, are you in the work of publishing anything else? Are you working on any other uh, papers? Well, I have another interest um, which I'm working on, and that is the area of long-range detection. Um, you know, metal detectors, you have to be pretty close to the object as you swing the uh, coils over it and listen for the sound and so on. But I'm looking at some detectors that work over hundreds of yards. And so um, I also believe from some preliminary work that they can be used to not only detect um, uh, metals and so on, but also people. Or, if he's close Mm -hmm. enough, maybe even a Sasquatch, which would be really exciting if you could triangulate and and pinpoint, you know, something that looks human-like hundreds of yards away in the woods Mm -hmm. and then have a direction to go walking toward. It would also be useful in finding missing children in the woods, missing people, um, graves, dead people, you know, the the total forensic CSI business. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you would have a way of knowing if something was underground without, without even being very close to it necessarily. So it's an electronics project. Um, involves some long wavelength radio waves in the uh, audio frequency range, I'll say that much, and the interaction of that with, I believe it's with mitochondrial DNA in the sample in the person that's out there and detecting that as it comes back and uh, hopefully I need to start working on that more and put the big foot down a little bit and... uh, See if I can get this thing to work um, with with the kind of electronics that people are going to believe in the result, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my other main main project, and when I get it worked out, I'll try to get a patent, and then I can publish it and um, describe how it works, and you know, maybe even sell some. We'll see. Well, I, I uh, that's there. truly amazing. I, I really look forward to uh, to uh, a follow up on this and reading uh, reading on 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 what you put together here. Well, I'll let you know when I have some more uh, results that I can be confident of enough to uh, talk about, and uh, it, it is related to Bigfoot in the sense that if he's that similar to humans, he ought to be detectable by this method at a distance, so he wouldn't have to mm. be right in front of us. We'll gotcha. see. Yeah. It's a very, very, uh, very far off, but I think it could be done. Well, uh, we, I guess we will, uh, we will find out, and I do look forward to hearing more about this, uh, this project, this endeavor, uh, down the road here. Um, now we're we're closing in on, uh, on towards the end of the show here, uh, Doctor. You know, where can people? Um, find out more about you, how can they reach out to you and, and, and read some of your, your work, uh, some of your articles? Well, I think the best place to get um, 
a uh, very down-to-earth description of a lot of it is on my, my blog page, which is Bigfoot Claims, one word, dot blogspot dot com. It's the Google um, blog pages that you can set up. And um, I've, I've got 30 articles out there on various things that we've discussed this evening, Some, most of which has been summarized in, in my two recent publications. But that would be the place to start. I'm on Facebook if anybody wants to contact me through Messenger with any specific questions or or comments or criticisms. I'd be anxious to hear all of those. And so uh, those are my suggestions. I don't have – oh, I do have two publications um, that have been submitted to the Journal of Cryptozoology. One of them deals with the mitochondrial DNA results of the Ketchum paper. And the other one deals with a subset of those that appear to have some unusual common mutations that are rare, very rare in humans, but more common in apes. And I don't know if there's something there or not, but I wanted to put it out there for people who have a little more experience in primate evolution to uh, maybe make some comments on that and see if there's something there. But there's... There's a few samples, um, two of them from California, one from British Columbia, one of them from New Mexico, that all have these three common mutations that are, are very, very rare in humans and not found together in, in any of the human samples that have been put into the database. So so I, I uh, it's kind of an exploratory thing, but those may come out this year in, in the Journal of Cryptozoology if they're accepted. Wow, fantastic! I hope they they uh, they make it. Uh, it sounds like a very fascinating topic uh, and something that uh, needs to be looked at, uh, regardless of the outcome uh, and direction that it needs to be looked at. But uh, hey, uh, Dr. Haskell Hart, I, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking with you uh, this evening, and I appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Monster X Radio. Uh, just uh, wanted to thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, too. I've enjoyed it very much. I like to talk to people about my work, and I don't get that much opportunity in person. And I am looking forward to to meeting you at Beachfoot and and some of the other colleagues. Well, fantastic. I I very much look forward to meeting you and and, uh, talking further uh, on the subject and your work. Uh, We will definitely have to have you uh, back on the show uh, down the road here. Um, but until then, uh, have a uh, great evening, and uh, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, this uh, episode of Monster X Radio. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully you got a little something out of it. I, I look forward to uh, speaking with uh, Dr. Hart down the road and having him back on. Um, but until uh, next week, uh, just thank you again for joining us here at Monster X Radio. We'll be back again next week, 4 p.m. Pacific time and 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern. But uh, thank you once again, everybody, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.